Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Silky Mint State. It is Black Friday. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Connor Eargood. Connor, how you doing today? I'm doing amazing. I went to Meyer to do some grocery shopping today, and uh, you know, speaking of Black Friday, there were sales. They had $40 flannels for 10 bucks, and I know that makes me sound super old, but a deal's a deal. I'm going to be dripped out next time I walk to class. You can't put a, a price tag on a deal that good. Exactly. Th- dude, 25%. For the, for the price, you can't beat that. How many Amazon did you get? can't beat that. I got like four, I think, and a pair wow. of jeans. I know. I, wow, jeans too. Outstanding. I know they're they're not ready. They're not ready for the looks I'm going to be pulling off. Wow. Next this is time huge. I'm at Yos, coming different. All right. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I mean, that's a very <laughs> encouraging start to the day. Uh, so I was going to ask you what dish was the star of your Thanksgiving, but it sounds like your Ooh. Thanksgiving has already been overshadowed by the Black Friday deals at Meijer. Uh, we did. My uncle picked up like a Bob Evans pre-made Thanksgiving and the green beans were pretty good. It wasn't a casserole, which was unfortunate. I, I missed the crunchy onions, but they were like perfectly tender, perfectly seasoned. So Wow, green beans. I have to say, I was not expecting that to be your answer. Yeah, they, it was a sleeper pick, you know, fifth rounder and just so happened to, to light it up in, in the AHL and earned a call up. So, yeah, you love to see it. I think the star of my Thanksgiving was the mashed sweet potatoes. Shout out to my Ooh. cousin, Gracie. She went hard on those and they absolutely delivered. That's amazing. Yeah. We also had some some like baked squash that as it was taken out of the oven one of my other cousins was like is that cantaloupe <laughs> in classic baked cantaloupe cl- fashion so i mean could be a dessert I, my worst food story all right it was uh sophomore year of high school we did a, a party in spanish my spanish class and so someone brought over like it was like german chocolate cake but they kept the the coconut stuff on the side i don't know why german chocolate cake was brought to a, a spanish party but uh multicultural was, party well there were there were some like traditional foods and so i was like oh the big old thing of coconut i didn't realize what it was at first and i was like oh this must be like a, a traditional dessert or something and so i scooped a big old glob of coconut like covering onto my plate and everyone made fun of me and i'm like listen like how was <laughs> i supposed to know it was right next to like all sorts of like tamales and stuff like <laughs> yeah I mean, that's a classic mix-up. Could have happened to not anybody. My, not my proudest moment. Yeah. But. All right. Um, so as we're recording here, it is Friday afternoon at 1.16. Um, so Red Wings Bruins is going on as we speak. Went with a slightly unconventional recording schedule today with the holiday. Um, so if we sound distracted as this is going on, it might be because of the Red Wings game, which... Speaking of, we just got a power play goal from JT Comfer, 1-0 Red Wings, 5-13 into the first. A little deflection from Augustus Bear, shot at the point, great start. Um, so, yeah, if we sound distracted, that's probably why. But you'll already know as you listen to this what's happened in the game. So you have that advantage over us for the time being. Um, that also... I feel like the Bruins for a long time have like skated on tradition as far as their jerseys being quite boring and like outdated. And this uh, the centennial that they've forced themselves to add three new ones for this year. I think it was a major and much needed improvement that had not been acknowledged. Uh, Where are you at on that, Connor? 
Um, I don't know. I feel like traditional jerseys are cool. I'm not against that, but I don't know. It's hard to mess with what Boston's got going. It's just like the Red Wings. Like, it's just good. I don't know. Yeah, I like you the know? format. I think the execution was not that good of these, like, kind of mid-2000s-ish update that had just kind of stuck in place. Mm-hmm. Like, the classic ones that they've brought back, I think, look great. I'm a huge fan of any cream jersey, which is what they're wearing today. Yeah. So, you remember the Michigan ones? That. Yes, the Michigan ones were great. Yeah. I wish they would wear yeah. those again. Yeah, I like it. I don't know. It's just mm. you can only do so much, right? Like that's the issue with the Jews. Same thing with like the the reverse retros for the for Red Wings. Yes, it was like everyone panned on him and said it looks like a practice jersey. But like, okay, what do you expect? Like, yeah, original six. You can't mess with the tradition. Mm-hmm. Well, I was and walking no... into the arena the other day. I saw someone wearing one of those, and I had like kind of forgotten that they even wore those first reverse retros because they were very forgettable but i thought the most recent ones were quite cool the like barber poles with the black i thought those looked great i kind of thought it would have been worth keeping those around the little diamond patch for the sea i thought that was really neat Mm -hmm. i'm I'm again they were playing on at the start but yeah right because there's this like anxiety of a black red wings jersey but it wasn't a black red wings jersey it was a red red wings jersey with black on it which i think looked very cool all right, that was Jersey's talk to to start the show. We started with Meyer flannels, and then we moved into Jersey talk. Hey, talk. we're it's all about very, apparel. Yeah, it's a very sartorial episode to get started here, but we'll pivot into some actual hockey. Um, maybe we'll keep updating on this Bruins game as it's going on, but we're going to focus on the hockey that has been played in full as of recording, which means there have been two games since our last show. The first was a 3-2 loss to Toronto in Sweden. This game, the Red Wings led to nothing after 40 minutes and could not finish the job in the third period. It was also Alex Lyons' debut in net as a Red Wing. Um, And then we had the New Jersey Devils game on Thanksgiving Eve on Wednesday, a 4-0 victory that I am going to submit as the best Red Wings performance of the season to date, although I'll be curious for your thoughts on that. But before we get there... I would agree. Let's start with Toronto. Um, obviously, a great 40 minutes to get out in front. Um, I think the the quote that was quite notable coming out of the game was Lucas Raymond, who obviously being the team's lone Swede was sort of the star the whole time they were in Sweden and scored a goal in both games there. So well-deserved on that front. But Raymond talked about how the Red Wings played scared and on their heels in that third period. And I think when you look at kind of the run of play from that, it felt like they spent the whole third in their zone and that there was a little bit of an inevitability to the comeback just because Detroit was so passive in that period. Uh, what were your takeaways from that game, Connor? I, I think that's an apt takeaway, and I think it, it kind of shows where the Red Wings are at that we had already learned when when they lost to Boston early in the season, right? And, and we kind of said they're, they're top of the middle of the pack. They're contending. They could get a playoff spot, but they're not really in position to consistently beat all the, all the top teams, right? The established giants like Boston, like the Leafs, Tampa Bay, when they get Vasilevsky back soon here, I feel like they're going to kind of reclaim their, their, their performances, right? They haven't really had a goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they need to assert themselves against teams like that. And, you know, they're doing it live against Boston right now. One Oh lead. Let's see how they, they do. But um, w- with the Leafs, you mentioned playing scared, kind of inevitability to it. It's that mental side. It's that belief, you know, you can beat the Leafs. You can you can win the third period. You've won the first 40 minutes. Like, um, so I, I feel like that might, might be the issue. If, if Raymond's already publicly talking about that, I'm sure they had the internal talks about that too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and Derek Lalonde kind of pushed back on that and attributed the the poor result in the third more to like puck management issues and kind of a lack of experience was his term or well, his phrasing, I'm... which is an odd thing to say about a team that we as we've talked about all year, it's very much a veteran group, even as it's coming out of this rebuild. Yeah. And also I feel like that's just symptoms of the the mental block, right? The lack of puck possession. It's like, okay, what causes it? If you don't believe you're gonna turn it over or you're not gonna go fight as hard, like if you have that little bit of a mental hurdle that you have to scale as well, it's just you're putting yourself in the, in the backseat already. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm know. I'm with you there. And I, I I mean, it was a phenomenal period for William Nylander in particular, who kind of to a more extreme degree than Lucas Raymond really took a, a star turn on that Sweden trip as one of, I think, five Swedes for the Leafs. Um, but yeah, he was remarkable. Detroit really wasn't very good. I thought another interesting point was uh, Alex DeBrinkett said this on, I forget, Monday or Tuesday, but he made the point that like if this trip had been elsewhere and under a normal schedule, I think it would have been easier to move on more quickly. But just because of the mm-hmm. way the schedule worked with it coming back, the Red Wings kind of had to sit in this loss for almost a week. Uh, the, yeah. that ga- the uh, Toronto game was Friday and they didn't play again until New Jersey on Wednesday. So uh in some ways sort of unfortunate to have to like wait around and think about that game more than you might have otherwise if it was just a you know normal Tuesday game with another one on the right. the following Thursday. But yeah, I mean maybe small things to to be pleased with in that 40 minutes of the start showing that clearly again against one of these upper crust Atlantic teams, it's not as though Detroit is thoroughly outclassed, even if on this occasion couldn't quite finish the job. Yeah. Um then as far as the Devils game goes. Uh, we've, I guess, both concurred that this was the best Red Wings performance of the season. I think maybe the other candidate would be that game in Columbus early in the season, which was also a 4-0 mm-hmm. shutout. But just based on quality of opponent, I think it's fair to say that this Devils yeah. win is more impressive. Um, yeah. I'll I'll hedge and say, like, the at last eight games, the Devils have won two. Um, yeah. So they're, they're sort of trending down. But if you're a team that's sort of, kind of thinking about itself in its own head too much right the wings on a little bit of a losing streak at that point get right against a team that's also struggling like seize that opportunity and I think that's what they did um they crawled all over New Jersey I mean it was tight when I first tuned in I was at a friend's house we were catching up and and turned it on and I mean they they crawled on them once they got that first goal it was like bang 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 the the Red Wings were in control and that's something we haven't really seen that much Mm -hmm. as much as you know momentum shifts can can really drive a hockey game they they rode the wave, so to speak, um, with with the Hughes parents in attendance um, <laughs> in front of, you know, in front of the families. They did that, um, whether that's disrespect or just how the game's played. I don't know. I, I'm not going to read too much into it, but yeah. I think it's an interesting note. Um, but I do think like if you can get sort of some momentum off that, that's a playoff team. New Jersey is they made the second round last year. They the first game of the season they lost to him in a, in a tight game that they probably should have won if they had you know played a little bit better. Um, they had the ability to win, I should say. So if you can play like that and, and sort of dominate them at this point, that that's good for you. A good confidence boost. Uh, maybe make them them believe um, and and kind of address what Raymond talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I'm totally with you there. And the the press brought 
press box at Little Caesars Arena is sort of very high up in this gondola. So it's a very steep view, but a very good view of just being able to see the whole ice and kind of how things develop. And I think it really felt like in, I think it was about 17 minutes in that the Red Wings got the first goal and then two more followed within 72 seconds. So this kind of flurry of offense at the end of the first period. But throughout those first 17 minutes or whatever it was before the goal, you could really see the Red Wings playing exactly the way that they want to play. Um, a phrase that you'll hear all the time from them is staying on top of opponents, you know, keeping yourself between your check and your net. Um, and, and the Red Wings were phenomenal in that regard. They forced a ton of turnovers. All three of those first period goals were directly off of forcing a turnover either on a devil's breakout or in the neutral zone with that kind of four check and, and the neutral zone structure really uh, doing exactly what Derek Lalonde and the coaching staff would want from them. Um, and just you, I think it would be as good of an example as we've had so far this season as what are the, what does it look like when the Red Wings are absolutely on top of their game? It's that. And it it's a game where there really weren't a ton of chances overall, but the Red Wings controlled them. They forced a ton of turnovers. They created really high quality offense off of those turnovers and they were rewarded for it. So I think overall a really mm-hmm. encouraging game. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, I don't know, let's say you're a stock car racer, right? And you just have a really, really good week. Everything's in in order. Your maintenance is going well and, and you just dominate one weekend at the track. You're not always going to do that, right? You're going to have blown tires. You're going to have parts that, that don't sync up. This is a very niche reference. Yeah, uh, I'm if West it, is listening, he'll appreciate it. But, <laughs> um, no, I, I just think like if you can get everything, all systems go, everything's in line, brakes, you know, engine, whatever. Not the biggest car guy, but um, I do think it's an apt metaphor of like, get every system running, get everything in line and you can play like that. They just got to do it consistently. And and that speaks to the, maybe Derek Lalonde is right about maybe youth, but not in terms of age, in terms of experience or, or situations guys have experienced on, on the ice. Um, maybe that's the next step is getting them to play to that all the time and, and play to that standard um, on a nightly basis. But it, it's an encouraging result to, in the midst of a losing streak, find that groove. And, and as I mentioned, it's a downward trending New Jersey team, but there's still a lot of talent. Um, Vanacek was in that, I believe for the, the mm-hmm. start of it. And it's not like he's a slouch. I mean, he was, you know, kind of took Samsonov out of a job at one point in uh, Washington and, and made them rethink their entire goalie core. So um, quality, quality opponent, but. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I, I mean, yes, New Jersey was stumbling, but then it's on you to take advantage of the fact mm-hmm. that they're stumbling. And I think we've seen it kind of go in another direction when, for example, Montreal came to Detroit a couple of weeks ago and was coming off of not very great form. But they clearly were absolutely dialed in for that Red Wings game, especially in the work that they were doing defensively. Um, yeah. So when you are playing against a team that hasn't been winning, you are also you know, as much as they're struggling, you expect that they're going to really bring it because they want to get off that schneid. So I think overall, a really impressive performance. And of course, at the back of all of that was Alex Lyon, who, in addition to playing quite well, even in defeat in Toronto, made 16 saves for the shutout against New Jersey in a way, a very like Marty Brodeur performance, right? As far as, uh, you know, in the teens, the number of saves to make, but his puck handling was really sharp. He did a great mm-hmm. job of disrupting what would have been a Jack Hughes breakaway um, in the second period where he kind of stepped up and knocked a loose puck that Hughes was chasing chasing out of the way. Um, what has impressed you, I guess, about Lyon so far? And and yeah, what, what, what did you make of his performance over those two games? 
I know a lot has been made about him sort of being the, the third goalie and having to wait, right? People wanted him in, people wanted him in. You have to deliver on that. And I feel like he's done that. The first game, okay, it's a loss, but it's not like he got shelled. It's not like he let in five goals and looked like an absolute, you know, roll of toilet paper in net, right? He he was, you know, he made saves. He, he played well. I, even if the saves are in the teens, you have to make them. And the Red Wings haven't always had a guy that can do that with Jimmy Howard, with Peter Mrazek, you know, that, that era of goaltending, Jared Coro afterward, like guys would let in the puck, even if they were facing 10, 15 shots in a game, if the Red Wings played super well. You have to execute, and, and that goes on the goaltender. Not to slander Howard and Razik, but it was just a very dark and, and, and traumatic era of Red Wings goaltending. And I, I think it speaks to what the situation is now, where you have a guy that will deliver to the assignment and, and, and sort of play up to standards, whether he's facing 40 shots, whether he's facing 15. We haven't really seen mm-hmm. Lyon face 40 shots. I don't want to speak too soon, but at the same time, it's it's a promising result to get the shutout and not sort of with the lead play down or, or maybe play a little softer. And, and maybe that comes from being the third goalie and having to earn that spot. But um, it's it's an impressive result, um, especially considering how much you sat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there can be an element of those games with a lighter workload becoming more difficult because it's harder to establish a rhythm. And I think the fact that the shot count was so low obviously is a credit to what the Wings did defensively, but I think it's also a credit to Lyon because one thing you really didn't see any of in that game was second chances for the Devils. Mm-hmm. When when they did get those shots, Lyon was covering them, stopping them and covering them, um, and there weren't those follow-up opportunities, which I think have been at least a little bit of a problem for both Reimer and Philly Husso. Um, to zoom out. Oh, and the other thing off of that, that, that you, your thought there kind of triggered for me was it, I think the obvious question to everybody on the outside, right. is like, how does Lyon deal with the fact that he didn't play for so long, that there was this really long layoff, but for Lyon himself and hearing him talk about it a little bit over these last, this last week or so, it, what's striking is he, he would be the first person to say, this is what the job is, is if you're this kind of two, three goalie, it is a learned skill to know that you're not going to play every night. You're not going to be able to establish a rhythm the way that you might be able to, if you're the starter, right. And you're starting, you know, two thirds of the games or something along those lines. And instead, when you get those opportunities, it's up to you to deliver. And, and they, that the circumstances might not always be ideal, but people don't care about that on the outside. And it's up to you to make the saves. And so, the fact that we've seen Lyon respond to that, I think his his demeanor and it is clearly well suited to this. And the fact that he has experience with it, that was obviously the situation in Florida last year where he spends most of the year not even as the backup, but as the a three and spending time in the AHL. And down the stretch, they don't make the playoffs if it weren't for the, the work that Lyon did. He starts the beginning of that Boston series and he ends up coming in again in the cup final as things had kind of gone awry, which maybe weren't his best performances. But he, he was essential to Florida making the postseason at all. And, and a huge part of that was his ability to kind of come out of the woodwork, <laughs> having not gotten a lot of action and performing immediately when he is cast back into that action. Yeah. Do you remember Scott Wedgwood for Jersey? Yes. Back in 2018, very similar situation. I mm-hmm. feel like, like not a guy who's going to get a big contract, not a guy who's going to be kept, you know, necessarily kept around long-term, um, but, but someone who's really serviceable for a team that's trying to claw back to, to playoffs. A hundred percent. And if I'm not mistaken, Lyon is actually on a two-year contract this year. He might um, yeah. It, it's yeah. like a, uh, two, I believe I could be wrong about this, but I think Reimer signed a one-year deal for more money, but Lyon got mm-hmm. two at, at a, slightly more cost-controlled rate. rate. Yeah. Yeah. A little more longevity. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I think you always hear this cliche in sports of like, you can't, we don't want anybody to lose their job to injury, right? Like if you get hurt and you're out of the lineup and Mm -hmm. someone else excels, we don't like the idea of the fill-in kind of taking your job on a full-time basis just because you got hurt. Um, and yet we, in fact, see that play out all the time, even if it's something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. This is sort of an unusual version of that, right? Because it wasn't an injury that got Alex Lyon his opportunity. It was Vili Huso's kind of mini paternity leave in Sweden, yeah. which obviously was you know well-deserved for Huso. And of course, he made the right decision to go home and, and be with his family there. And I think it's nice for him that it ended up being a little longer of a break than it might otherwise have been because of again, how the travel worked out there. But do we think that what we've just seen over these last two games, and obviously Huso is starting today against Boston, so it's not as though uh, Lyon has suddenly commanded every single opportunity here. Um, And Derek Lalonde was very clear about how uh, the reason that Lyon did not start, excuse me, that Lyon did start on Wednesday wasn't that Huso was bad or anything like that. It was just that they wanted to give him a little more practice time after his layoff. But my Mm -hmm. question for you, Connor, is have we just seen Alex Lyon become the Red Wings' number one option in that? Uh, It's hard to say. I I feel like it's a two-game stint. Um, And as well as he played, Huso also has a a pretty good track record from last season and it was a little more established. I feel like it's hard to, to... get rid of that, right, mm-hmm. to, to wipe that off the slate and, and start fresh. Um, and I feel like considering Lalonde has been there for for that time and, and saw Huso play like that, it's a little harder for him to maybe move past that. If he was a first-year coach with the Wings, I would say, like, okay, maybe he's going to just forget about it, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not with him. Um, but I do think there's a level of trust that he's going to rely on, especially for a goaltender and one of the, the more important positions on, on the ice, in my opinion, like and, and, and one that's so mental. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they're just going to bail on him. I feel like Huso is going to remain the the starter, like the title, um, as much as Lyon might get more games than than when he was sitting, right? Because he's an easy easy band aid if they have bad goaltending. Okay, put Lyon in. We'll we'll see how he performs. But I do think he's trending that way, right? To 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 get more opportunities and maybe get a, a starter's share or at least a tandem share of the of the starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. I, uh we kind of contextualize it just there in relation to Huso. It does seem fairly clear and as simply as him starting on Wednesday that he's kind of jumped ahead of James Reimer <laughs> in the queue, at least for now. And I think you're right to point out that like, of course we're talking about a small sample here and we know goaltending is maybe as fickle as anything, especially with the way that like your mistakes are, are as glaring as anyone else's can possibly be just, that's the nature of the position. But uh, I, I think clearly Lyon has made major strides. I, I think I ultimately agree with you that it's not as though we've just seen Huso kind of totally unseated. I think he's absolutely going to continue to get the chances the Red Wings have invested in him. The fact that they entered the season perceiving him as like, hey, we want this to be our number one. I don't think that's something you abandon over two games of Alex Lyon looking good. And yet Lalonde has talked about the the kind of confidence that the rest of the team gleaned from how calm Lyon was in goal how reliable he was, and Alex DeBrinkett just scored to make it 2 nothing Red Wings. Hot start here in Boston. You're ahead of me. Oh, I my just bad saw, for the I spoiler. just saw DeBrinkett with a, a, an odd man rush, so um, <laughs> I was just about to say, oh, my God, DeBrinkett, but I didn't want to interrupt. But if he <laughs> scored, hey, yeah, he made good. good. Credit to you for holding back on that. So let's that... <laughs> let's let's see how uh, let's see how far off my stream is, because I think what, – what minute are you at? Um, they're showing the replay now, so I don't have it in front of me. It's like uh, just under five minutes. 
Okay, I'm at 617. That's brutal. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm I'm killing I'm, the game here. I am on a certain site that I won't advertise because <laughs> yeah. I don't have cable. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> these are things you, you do when you have a college budget. Yeah. Um, I learn everything slower. No. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, back to Lion. Uh, well, again, we warned you that we would be with our, you know, goldfish brains here, distracted by what's going on in front of us with this Red Wing game. But uh, yeah, I, I think overall, like with the the nature of the position, I, I don't think it makes any sense for the Red Wings to suddenly make some kind of out-and-out declaration that like Lion mm-hmm. is the guy or to abandon Huso. You're going to keep giving Huso opportunities. And so it's kind of on Huso to play his way, to play at a level that makes you say, yeah, we want to keep rolling Huso out there. And I think yeah. I'm with you that based on how w- well Lion has played, what that probably looks like is something along the lines of a tandem in these coming games to to keep as long as Lion keeps playing well and, and you keep Huso in that rotation too. And, and maybe he nominally is still the number one guy, uh, but there's no reason to not sort of let that play out organically, I think, as we move forward. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, and then maybe one other standout and actually is one last point on lion. I thought an interesting quote from the, the post-game presser against the devils was Robbie Fabry talked about how everyone in the locker room was excited for lion. Um, and that they were all happy to see him, him, uh, play as well as he did, uh, with, you know, five shutout periods out of six, but he talked about it being kind of huge for our group was the quote, uh, to see Lyon play that way as, as again, to what I was saying earlier about Lalonde, the team taking confidence from the steadiness that Lyon showed in goal. Obviously there's an element of that. That's like the kind of platitude of like, Hey, we're just excited for this guy. And it's not as though he was saying that in relation to not being excited for Kuso, but just the sense that like there is a confidence within the locker room based on what Lyon has done. And I, I don't think that's something to be totally discounted, even though it of course doesn't mean like they aren't, confident in Huso or something like that but just that lion has clearly made an impact on everybody here cool um so one thing we kind of were uh batting back and forth right before we got started here is you often hear the statistic about how important it is for an nhl team to be in a playoff spot by thanksgiving that this is the sort of the vast majority of teams that end up making the playoffs are in those positions before at the time of Thanksgiving with the win over New Jersey, the Red Wings slipped into what would be had the playoffs started then the eight seed in the East um, in a kind of crowded field. And they're now a few games behind in terms of games played on some of those other teams because of that uh, Swedish layoff um, that they experienced. But Connor on a, scale of one to 10, how much confidence are you taking or how much importance, I guess, are you ascribing to this playoffs by Thanksgiving metric? My, my favorite number in these rankings four. um, <laughs> said about goaltending, said about a bunch of stuff. I, I think, okay, first off they were here last season and they blew. Mm-hmm. You can easily choke being a Thanksgiving team and it's not a hundred percent. Right. Um, I do think, it's the position you want them to be in. Maybe you want them to be second or something, right? You don't want them to be the eighth seed. Um, yeah. You want them to be second in the Atlantic or something, a little more um, locked up. However, it's 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 a position you have to you have to be a playoff in a playoff position to make the playoffs, right? And and any position is equivalent. You have the same shot, even if you don't have home ice advantage, or even if you're clearly not as um, 
you know, in, in a gifted position as, as the eighth seed is as compared to the first. Um, but the eighth seed can win, right? Look at what Florida did. Um, the St. Louis Blues sort of snuck in in their playoffs and, and, and made a run and ended up winning the cup. Granted, that's like a once in a million Cinderella story that every commentator thumps whenever a team's in last place is a sign of hope. Um, <laughs> the Red Wings right. don't want to be in that position. But um, you have to to make the playoffs, you have to be a playoff team. And as long as they're in that spot, because they haven't been there since 2016, um, you know, that that's what you want to see. Um, just don't blow it like last year's is my only words of wisdom to them. Um, as wise as those are with with no direction um, and, and no advice, but just don't blow it. Yeah, I think you're you're right to to point to that. Like we've seen this before with the Red Wings and, and um, I forget exactly what the timing was, but the year before as well, they were in a playoff spot for a decent chunk of the early part of the season and obviously fell apart even more thoroughly then um, it, versus last year. It was, you know, around the trade deadline with those games against the Senators where the wheels sort of fully came off. Um, so, of course, like there are no assurances with this. I do think that for Red Wings fans, like if come April, we are talking about a playoff team. There will not be a Red Wings fan in the world. Who's like, eh, they're only an eight seed. They, I, I would have yeah, rather exactly. be a five or a six or a seven. I mean, just yeah. making the playoffs, I think would be a major victory for this organization mm-hmm. this year, as far as, you know, showing proof of concept that there is an upward trajectory here. And like we've said before, I, I don't think there's anyone who's taking this team all that seriously as a true Stanley cup contender. So to kind mm-hmm. of be, taking the right steps to be uh, I almost would take more comfort or confidence, I guess, in the way we've seen them play against good teams like Boston, like Toronto, like Tampa, uh, like New Jersey on Wednesday, even if they're struggling a little bit than in the particulars of the seeding right now or the playoff race in general right now, you know, that, like you said, this is a fickle thing. Things can, can slide any number of ways. And we've seen that happen in the wrong direction in recent years here. So Obviously, this isn't the end point of anything, but, you know, it, if it's one more test that we're of kind of how much progress has this organization made, it's another positive mark. And and I think there's no reason, even as we're acknowledging it's not actually all that significant, there's no reason to say that it's nothing or that or that it's, you know, yeah. immediately worthy of dismissal. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it it's a good stat to have. Um, oh, that's a heck of a save. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's a good, it's a good stat to have going in your favor. Um, if you're Detroit and you know, it's, it's like Detroit fans will be familiar, familiar with the lions. Just make the playoffs. You don't have to win the super bowl. You don't have to win the Stanley cup. Just make the playoffs and it's going to make a lot of people happy. Hmm. Yeah. Do you um, think that's which, still where lions fans are? Uh, they should be. I think a lot of lions fans or, or quote unquote lions fans that are fair weather have slipped to saying Super Bowl or bust. And I think that's unwise, especially mm-hmm. after what we just saw on Thanksgiving. But that yeah. we're, a, we're, we're a Red Wings podcast. <laughs> I could share my line <laughs> elsewhere. So before we jump into a couple of NCAA topics to wrap up the show here this week, I wanted to talk about another story that came out in the last week, which was plans for a potential next World Cup of Hockey, which would be for 2025, uh, February of 2025. The There were a number of people who were kind of reporting on this throughout the week. The, the report that this information is being drawn from is from ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. He reported that the plan was to have it be a four-team event 
the U.S., Canada, Finland, and Sweden. Those two North American teams would play two games in North America. The two European teams would play in Europe, uh, two game sets each. And then the winners of those two kind of mini pools would then play the loser of the opposite pool in kind of semifinals, which would then produce a final. It's a confusing format. It's a frustrating yeah. format, I would say, in the lack of representation. Um, I think it's obvious that you can't have Russia included in this event, and, and barring some you know major change between now and then. And that is, you know, whether you're having Russia or the kind of Olympic athletes from Russia charade that we saw um, in the 2018 Olympics or something along those lines. I think it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to have a Russian team competing as one in any sort of international right. stage right now. Um, but I guess before I, you know, weigh in on my grievances here, Connor, what what was your reaction to this format? Is this an event that would be exciting to you? Not particularly. Uh, bring back Team North America. Bring back Team Europe. Um, I think that makes it fun, especially when you have a team where, you know, guys from from a country that may not field a, a full team that can compete at that level, like Latvia, even Germany, I think would would have some struggles, even if they have the top tier talent. Um, despite having some some really good prospects and, and younger guys coming up. Um, I, I think teams, you know, from from players from like Norway and, and Austria and all these different countries, like if you put together a team Europe, you could field a pretty good team and 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 have more representation, more viewers. I, I just think it's smart business, let alone making a better product. And then for Team North America, you're gonna have a lot of young prospects that can't really make the established veteran national teams. Um, or at least you're going to have a tougher time because everyone's going to sell out to play the World Cup of Hockey, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's once it's just like the Olympics. It's once every every so often players want to play in it. Um, and so making it an uphill battle for, for guys to play. I thought it was super cool when they did Team North America and you had a lot of the younger prospects, North American prospects playing in it. Um, I, I think those are just two cool concepts that they should really con- reconsider bringing back. Um, yeah, I, I think those are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. And the, going back to that 2016 World Cup of Hockey, it feels as though there was almost nothing memorable about that event other than Team North America. That, mm-hmm. Like Canada won it in the end in this kind of anticlimactic best of three against Team Europe, which also I think fared much better than anyone was expecting them to in that right. tournament. Um, and, but yeah, the, the excitement of having like Austin Matthews before he's even played a game in the NHL and, uh, Connor McDavid being on that team, Mark Shifley, all these guys who Dylan Larkin, Dylan Larkin would have been a better one as my third there than Mark Shifley. Wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> I went for the rule of threes, but I picked the wrong three. <sighs> um, yeah, Dylan Larkin obviously beat on that team as well. I think that was very exciting. Um, he obviously would be at this point in his career uh, a star and an important player on the full American USA. team. But still, yeah. guys who are kind of it, at that stage in their career, I think it's fun to get them involved in this tournament mm-hmm. in some way or another. Um, I, I am at least a little bit sympathetic to the idea that it inherently becomes sort of artificial or like manufactured something of the stakes are lessened by that. But I think if we're talking about this as an event that's going to happen in the middle of February, there's going to be an element of that anyway. And of, you know, once players are there and, you know, wearing those national team jerseys, they're obviously going to go all out in the context of these games, but it, it will feel like something of a contrived event anyway. I feel yeah. like one of the, 
you know, we obviously haven't had true best on best international men's hockey since that 2016 tournament. One of the things I would most want to see is what can this a potential Germany team do right now? Like you said, mm-hmm. it's it's not a team that can field a full lineup of NHL players, obviously. But when you look at it, Tim Stutzla, a Mo Sider, um, you know, Leon Dreisaitl, obviously got a better three there. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, some exciting young players as well. JJ Paterka yeah. in Buffalo comes to mind I, to me. Like I, I want to see what those guys can do. I think what's great about the soccer world cup and obviously soccer has a way bigger reach as far as just potential participants than hockey does, but that it is a truly global event where you get these kind of upstart storylines. You get a team like Morocco um, at the most recent men's world cup that makes a deep run um, that, you know, you might not expect, you might not have, have been looking for that, uh, but it makes the tournament just feel kind of more special. And it's an occasion to showcase talent. And it, it feels as though so often the NHL stance when it comes to these international games, and that's always been their kind of hold up with the Olympics is, well, why should we allow our players to participate in this event if we're not seeing a share of the profits? You know, sure. I, I would say that it, first of all, like the players deserve to have some degree of autonomy and just get to do things like this that are cool and that are meaningful to them over the course of their careers. But then also from a selfish perspective for the NHL, it is absolutely free advertising for your sport and for your product to put this on a stage (laughs) where, and you know, world cup of hockey, maybe slightly less so than an Olympics as far as drawing in casual fans, but it's a, you know, an international stage that can command eyeballs that, a a regular season game or even the playoffs aren't generating because you'll be able to pull people in uh, who just want to see like, Oh, team USA is playing. I I'm interested in that. Even if I'm not the biggest hockey fan in the world. And, and to think of it too, imagine some little German kid in, in some random city that sees Mo Sider and is like, Oh, he plays for Detroit. I'll watch them. Mm -hmm. And and then all of a sudden you have a new Red Wings fan. Yeah. Um, And, and granted it's not always that simple, right? There's other factors to play into it, you know, being able to watch hockey outside of that tournament and maybe see some local games and stuff like that. Um, But there's also a lot of talent in the European leagues. And I think that gets overshadowed a lot because the NHL markets itself is this top tier league. There are players who play in the KHL. There are players who play in the SHL and and the Czech league and and all these different leagues that are talented and, and, and can hang with NHL players. They wouldn't scout them if they, if they didn't, right. They wouldn't sign free agents from them if they didn't. Um, and, And so I think it's just, if you did that, maybe it's not all NHL players, but they're at least quality. Um, yeah. it, it's not like you're putting out me, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. I put myself on an, on par with them, but it just is, is the sake of comparison. You're not going to put a bum out there and, and, and make them play just because it's a national tournament. Um, it's not going to be like, I feel like some of the, the international basketball tournaments, some of the teams tend to be like, all right, like, you know, we, we can tell who's going to win this. Yeah. Um, with hockey, you can feel it a little bit deeper of a, of a team. Mm-hmm. And and you, it. I think a similar conversation always comes up with the World Juniors, where there are certain people who will get upset about you know some of those like the bottom end of that pool. I think Latvia has been a team that's been in that spot. We've seen kind of Kazakhstan mm-hmm. there, just because those teams take big losses. I like they can still add something to the tournament. It's still an experience mm-hmm. for those players. Like you said, it's not as though we're putting out people who like have never worn a pair of skates yeah. before. These are still professionals. They're just not yeah. quite on the tier of an NHL player. Think of how much David Reinbacker increased yeah. his NHL draft stock at that tournament for a, was it, was he Austria or Germany? I can't remember. Um, Austria. 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 Mm-hmm. Austria. And it wasn't a great Austrian team. I think they, did they win a game? They um, might have come close. 
You've got number. me there. I couldn't tell you off the top yeah, of my head. I, either they, they won a game good. or they tied. Yeah, they they were close in some of them. Mm-hmm. And he played outstanding and, and was arguably easily their best player. I won't even say arguably easily their best player. Um, and it boosted his draft stock and it ended up being in in pretty high in the top ten. Um, I think was it Montreal that swung at him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he six, went to Montreal. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Um, I I think it's just it's a good opportunity and that's what it's all about. It's not about um marketing. It's not about you know selling a product so much and i think we get away from that in sports and, and really think of profitability and stuff sometimes you can just do something cool um, yeah and, and so you know there's an opportunity here for that to happen um they've fumbled it thus far um granted there's still time to change um if we all you know maybe the grinch's heart will get three sizes larger or whatever um <laughs> but, but we'll see getting in the holiday spirit lately but um no i we'll, we'll see how it pans out but I do think the 2016 model was a lot better than the current. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great way of putting it. Of just like sometimes you can just do something cool and fun that people will enjoy. Um, and the your point about these kind of a Reinbacher type player who has a great kind of standout tournament, even for a team that has no serious chance of of maybe even winning a game, yeah. let alone advancing far into the event. But like we've seen similar things with maybe it's Nick Ehlers playing for Denmark at the World Junior or Anze Kopitar with Slovenia at the Olympics. Even like it's cool to get to see a player like that play alongside guys who clearly aren't quite at his level, but still the kind of pride that comes in representing his country on a stage like that and just adding a kind of texture to the tournament that otherwise, like, we don't want to just fast forward to the semifinals, even if we have a decent idea of what those semifinals will be. To me, like, looking at this format, it seems very obvious that the obvious, that the plan here is to just kind of force your way into a USA-Canada final because that's what you think is the big TV rating. And that just is kind of antithetical to me to like what sports is supposed to be as far as like competition. Right. Yeah. And like, you're probably going to, or at least there's a decent chance anyway, that you end up with a meaningful USA Canada game, whether it's a semifinal or a final or whatever, somewhere along the line, but like let that happen on an actual sporting stage, as opposed to just manufacturing it. Um, if you're a, a longtime Gula Gula hockey reader, you'll know that I'm a big fan of Spanish soccer. Um, and I think an interesting parallel there is that obviously in Spain, everything go go comes back to the prism of the Clasico and Barcelona against Real Madrid, that all of the media is goes through that lens. Is you're either a Madrid-based outlet or you're a Barcelona-based outlet, and that colors everything that you do. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, in addition to playing out the regular league season, European soccer leagues will have these kind of in-season tournaments that sort of like the one the NBA is trying out. You have in Spain, you have the Copa del Rey, uh, which is the kind of true open format. Everybody can play in it. And then there's also the Spanish Super Cup, which is just a four-team event that was contrived pretty much for the sole reason of getting an extra Madrid, Barcelona, Clasico in to the schedule as a TV event that they also very shamelessly essentially sold to Saudi Arabia to host that event, which is a whole different issue of sports washing. But my point is just... When you have these things that are ostensibly sporting events that have been set up purely for like TV benefit and commercial benefit, it takes away from the whole thing and it just makes it less interesting in fan as fans. So, like, I think I I'm guessing you'll agree with this. Like, obviously, I'm if the if and when this happens, I'll still watch it and I'll still be you know excited to see yeah. because we've been so starved for international best on best hockey. But it just feels like another example of the NHL not I don't know 
thinking things through or, you know, adopting a global enough perspective. And I don't even mean like literally right. international, but just the the kind of taking a step back and, and thinking really about the event that you're putting Definitely. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. I can yeah. talk about this for hours. But... <laughs> With that said, who do you think would be a favorite if they played in a final right now, USA or Canada? Canada. What? You kind of question that. It's that always outright? Canada. You yeah, don't... 100%. Canada would be the favorite because the USA is always an underdog. Okay. Like, the USA can win. I'm not saying they can't win, but they're never the favorite. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not certain that if, you know, from like an odds-making perspective, though, if we got this tomorrow... And obviously there's a ton that can change. Players keep getting better between now and 2025, injuries, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not certain that Canada would be a favorite in a one-game competition, final, whatever it might be, against the U.S. I feel like the the depth for the U.S. on defense, the goaltending options, and the fact that like as a nation we seem to have never produced centers until the last generation, Dylan Larkin ah. right up there among them, but Eichel, Matthews, all of these guys that that sure. that kind of depth down the middle feels like something that has always been missing from even the American teams that have gone on runs like that 2010 yeah. team in Vancouver. I just think it's a tradition thing. I, I don't know. Canada just always seems to play well together um, and, and the depth of the, the talent. Well, it's older, I feel like. Um, and, mm-hmm. and they're still the top end talent, the young talent, right? Like guys like McDavid. Um, but I, I just think that Canada with that tradition and with so many guys they can pull from can find the right team. And I think with the USA – there's a lot of talented players, but it's a, a smaller pool to draw from in, in terms of tryouts. Um, so that, that's where I make my my assessment on that. All right. I'll, I'll give that to you. I think that's fair, even if the, the Patriot in me is, you know, slightly perturbed yeah. by it. But I, I don't hate the idea of kind of embracing an underdog <laughs> mindset and then ripping it away from them. That, yeah, that sounds like a solid plan. USA does. That's literally the story of USA <laughs> hockey. If you watch Miracle. Right, but isn't that what we need to move on from? Is like not being obsessed with this like we're these scrappy underdogs and we have to beat Canada one zero. You know, it, it, they're still winning the games. They're not going to abandon it until it doesn't work. All right, if it ain't broke. Don't fix it. But okay. Anyway, well, yeah. Well, as you said, we could go on all day about a hypothetical USA Canada <laughs> series, but we're going to move on from that for now. Uh, I have two NCAA topics from around the state of Michigan for us to wrap up on both of them questions on a scale of one to 10 uh, and concerning Michigan's two big 10 hockey teams. So my first question for you is on a scale of one to 10, how concerned are you about Michigan? Um, Obviously coming. Okay. So you've come out hot before I even (laughs) finish the framing and you've dispensed with your usual middleman force to go with a nine. Dude, the red lights are like flashing. The the submarine is taking on water. No, I, I don't want to sound too too like doom and gloom here. But it is to me, it's a nine. Because I think the issue at hand here is that last year when this happened, they're in a very similar position to last year, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have the pairwise wins. They don't have a sweep over Hockey East opponents. They don't have a sweep over, um, or we'll see if they get a sweep over NCHC this week. I'd, St. Cloud State's kind of rolling right now. They, mm-hmm. they might split. Either way, they don't have the 8-1-1 non-conference record to really have slumps in the Big Ten. Um, and, and last year, that really helped them in terms of pairwise seeding. They were always in that top 10, even when they were like slouching um, against some some pretty bad Big Ten opponents and, and just couldn't win a weekend. They were in the same position last year, but they don't have the the bump from that. Um, and that just goes back to, to the early season, right? Why, it's, why it matters so much to, to play those non-conference series. 
And a lot is decided before teams are really where they want to be, um, whether that's for better or for worse. And that could be an indictment of the pairwise, but um, it's to me, it's more scheduling. They, they decide to play like that, but I won't get on. I'll get off my soapbox for a second. And, and I'll say they need to figure out the, the big 10 way how to finish a weekend. Um, it looked like they were going to do that um, against Ohio state and they fumbled it. Minnesota looked like they'd steal a game and they ended up getting what, what they lost in the shootout or they won in the shootout. One, one in the shootout. Yeah. One in the shootout, but split which the either weekend. way, Either way, it's a national tie, um, mm-hmm. so they lost that weekend in a sense. Uh, Penn State, they should have been able to close out, but they're just so banged up. And, and you know, heart goes out to a guy like Rugger McGordy, who, who got pretty seriously hurt. Same thing, Marcus Tapa. Um, but at the same time, they got to learn how to close out those weekends. Um, that was something last season that was talked about, that they don't want to play like that and they want to figure it out. At some point, you just got to come in from week one and have that down pat. You can't learn it midseason, otherwise you're going to be struggling. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think with the coaching turnover, with the player turnover, how much this team has changed, it's natural to have those struggles. But I do think it's something they need to figure out sooner rather than later because last season was sort of you know, sparked by that, I don't want to call it a miracle run, but they had that eight-game win streak. And Luke Hughes' heroics against Penn State when he scored four goals and put the team on his back. And you don't really have that this season from, from anyone in particular. Um, so they're going to have to to play together, play to their systems, play to their strengths. Um, and we'll see if they can do that. I think this is a good weekend for them to just kick that off against St. Cloud State. Um, but but right now I'm at a, at a level nine. If they keep playing like this, it's going to be really hard for them to A, make the, the tournament and B, perform how they expect to when they get to the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for some context, they're currently sitting at 23rd in the pairwise, which obviously is not good enough to make the tournament, even without, you know, automatic qualifiers or whatever else can shake out where even just being, you know, 15th or 16th, as Michigan State can attest from last year, is not enough to assure your mm-hmm. safe passage into the tournament. I think what has to be the kind of most frustrating thing about it is that it feels like it's almost the exact same script every weekend where Michigan is the better team at five on five. They generally are controlling play. They're generating a ton of chances, but they're taking too many penalties. The penalty kill is not very good, or at least it hasn't been so far. And that's led to these blown leads in the third period. Um, I think it's the five, excuse me, four losses in conference play are by a total of five goals. So obviously the margins are super thin here. And there's a world where we're talking about this Michigan team in a totally different way if those bounces go the other way or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like you said, especially with the reality of the pairwise, uh, because of those kind of non-conference slip ups to then also be kind of laboring a little bit through the early stages of the Big Ten season is alarming. And the the injuries to, you know, like you said, McGroarty is the kind of scariest and, and fortunate that the worst case scenario was avoided there and that it sounds mm-hmm. like he will be good to go for the second half, even if he's not necessarily able to play in World Juniors, which is a shame for him if that does end up being the case. But to to be in this spot is unenviable. And it does uh St. Cloud is 6 and 0 in NCHC play so far obviously super impressive in that league and they've won 6 games in a row as well it's those 6 conference games so you're going away to a difficult environment to a uh an opponent that's playing really well and it feels i mean must sweep is is harsh but and, and a high bar for that context but 
definitely an important weekend as far as making up some ground in the pairwise, building some momentum. And what's waiting next weekend is Notre Dame and South Bend, which has been, you know, Michigan's kryptonite the over of their the existence. last few yeah. years. So definitely not getting easier here schedule wise and and to to really start banking some points and, and to kind of get things at least partially turned in the right direction feels very important right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, anything else on Michigan or should we jump into state here quickly? I said my piece on Michigan. I won't, <laughs> won't, won't rattle off too much. Um, <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum, Michigan state is now the, in possession of the best record in the big 10. They just swept then number one, Wisconsin at Munn. Uh, I think you can absolutely call that a statement victory, a statement sweep easily over easily. Our, consensus statement sweep here from the silky mitten state team um but my question for you is on a scale of one to ten how would you rate state's chances of coming out of the big 10 regular season as the conference champion Ooh, i think they're gonna be top two i i think they've just turned in so much of a a, a quality performance now i think the two teams they would have to worry about scaling is uh minnesota and and, and michigan obviously they have to play wisconsin again but um, I, I feel like even if they were to tie that, they're playing so well against the other opponents that it won't really matter. Um, they do play Michigan four times in the second half, mm-hmm. um, and that's always a, a very contentious series. One of those will be dual in the D. Um, so we'll we'll see how they um, can can keep up their momentum. I think they'll be top two. I'd give it like a six that they'll be the number one. Um, I'm just I'm very confident in Minnesota bouncing back. Um, Cause I feel like they played a lot better than, than what their record might show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Michigan's in that same boat too, as you mentioned, they play well at five on five. It's the penalty issue and that they have to get under wraps. Um, I, I think it's hard for other teams to pass them, especially when they've beaten them. Uh, um, I, have they played Minnesota? Michigan State, um, I can't remember. I'm, you've got I think they might play them this weekend, actually. Yeah, that um, sounds right. So we'll see. Um let me go with six. I'll go with six and say they have a, a the they're the betting favorite, right? But there's so many games they have to play, and they have to play four games in a rivalry series second half. The Big Ten is always fickle like that. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Minnesota that that won it in the regular season, I don't think was in first place at um, this point last season. I think they took it with a sweep the last two weekends hmm. of of conference play. Don't quote me on that. I might be off. Yeah, I think last year it was the the series at Yoast where they played a Michigan team that was way undermanned because of the That's right. virus where they sort of got control of the Big Ten mm. relatively early on. I can also now confirm that okay. State has not played Minnesota yet. They swept Ohio State, shootout yeah. loss, then win over Penn State at home, and then that sweep over Wisconsin. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think you're – you're right that it it feels as though almost everything we just said about Michigan also applies to what's going on with Minnesota right now. Um, not necessarily mm-hmm. the kind of player for player I- identical, but just the general vibe of like a team that's had a lot of turnover in the last couple of years. This year, probably even more extreme for Minnesota than it was for Michigan, although obviously tough to like just Cooley and Fantilli alone. Those are enormous losses for any program to absorb, even two that that recruit at the level that Michigan and Minnesota do. Um, I'm interested. It sounded as though you didn't necessarily have Wisconsin as being a super serious Big Ten title threat for state. Um, I I do, but I think just winning those two, even if they're able to tie them right, I feel like the way Wisconsin's playing the rest of the conference is what they're going to have to bank on. 
So it's easier for the opponent to to lose, right? Everyone sure. has a clunker. Everyone yeah. loses. So when you win that head to head, it's so important. Um, and that's, you know, as much as commentators sort of lean on that, like these are big points in the Big Ten when teams face off against each other, especially the top echelon type of teams. Um, just having that edge and that head to head advantage is is so important, um, especially, you know, teams will blow a tire. It's it's inevitable. Um, so not to repeat myself, but um, <laughs> I, I just think I think it's winning that head to head is is, is going to give them the advantage. Wisconsin, I think, is going to be top three easily. I had them second. Uh, I had Minnesota. I had Minnesota, Wisconsin, and then Michigan and Michigan State as my top four. Hmm. Um, and everyone doubted me and everyone was wrong. <laughs> well, as a, yeah, I mean, you're taking a victory lap now on Minnesota, I believe is last place in the conference right now or close to it. Sixth. Okay. Yeah. Hey, listen, listen. <laughs> so everyone was wrong for you to, including me on Minnesota, everyone was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't, everyone else was wrong except me on Wisconsin. And I will victory lap that. All right. I'll give you credit there, although I, you know, seem to recall myself being reasonably high on Wisconsin's chances here. But yeah, (laughs) everyone but us. Yeah, we we can take a collective victory. I think that's what we'll do. Yeah, I I would say I think I would give Wisconsin a better chance just based on the kind of start that we've seen to beat out state in the regular season, at least I think the tournament becomes kind of its own beast once you get there. But as that regular season goes, I think just, you know, based on the points that have been banked so far, it's got to be Wisconsin, who is, for me, is the biggest threat to state finishing this. But I think the, for me, what state has done is answered whatever questions there might have been that I kind of had about their ability to like put all of these pieces together in a kind of cohesive way that made sense, where obviously Nightingale has really raised the profile, the kind of talent profile on that team, even as a lot of the biggest recruits haven't quite gotten onto campus yet, but that, that you know, that Alevshinoff uh, comes in as this heralded recruit, potential top five draft pick. And it seems very clear that he they've found a way to incorporate him in a way that is beneficial for everybody. That, you know, Red Savage playing really well, that Trey Augustine, if there was any doubt about his ability to come in and perform at a really high level as a freshman and, you know, an 18-year-old, he's answered those doubts and and he looks very much the part and goal. Um, I think uh, would have a reasonable claim to being the best goalie in the big 10 right now. Um, uh, Justin um, Close certainly deserves kind of legacy consideration st- for that based on the statistically body of work. it's Ryan Bischel. Statistically it's Ryan Bischel. All right. But that, they play the trap in front of him. So yeah, he's I was going to say the that's, Marty that's Brindor, a name factor the there as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like Kyle McClellan in Wisconsin looks a lot better, you know, miles better than he did last year, which feels mm-hmm. like no disrespect. To, obviously he's taken strides in his own game, but that yeah. feels also a lot like a reflection of what Mike Hastings has done in, in exactly. solidifying that team defensively yeah, um, doing- to see such an extreme jump from him. Yeah, doing what Augustine's doing as a freshman is mm. is impressive. Him and Jacob Fowler are the only two freshmen that are are really in that echelon right now. And funny enough, they're the the one and two for for Team USA, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so some some good options there. As as in the next month, we we jump into a little more World Junior talk here, um, which I, I think without you know wanting to give that away now, I I'm I'm excited about what this US team can look like. I'm not sure where you are there. I'm I'm. After seeing how they played over the summer, yes, there mm-hmm. were some clunkers against Sweden of note, um, but I am excited to see how they play, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's the team, everyone's together, um, considering they did the split squad that they usually do over the summer. Um, I'm excited to see how it all merges. Yeah, 
hundred percent. It feels like to me, I think this is going to be a better U S team than we saw last year. And I thought that team last year sort of overperformed in some ways, but mm-hmm. uh, ultimately fell short of, of their ultimate goal there. But yeah, should be an exciting next month for, for American hockey, much of it, Michigan centric as it always is. And as it always should be nice little salute there, Connor. Um, cool. Before we wrap up here, I, it is my understanding that there is a pretty significant football game in Ann Arbor tomorrow. Do you want to offend say. some Michigan folks a little more with your prognostications on this game? Uh, give me OSU against the spread. What is the spread me, right now? Uh, it was four. Okay. Give me OSU against the spread. I've been going back and forth all week about who's going to win it. It's going to be it's going to be close. Give me Ohio State. Give me him out, right? There was no doubt in my mind. It's like, okay, but I get Kyle McCord is terrible. He's a a bad quarterback, and I think anyone can say that. At at, at very least, you can call him a system quarterback if you're being nice. Um, And even that has its own connotations. But um, with how bad J.J. McCarthy has played as of late, with Jim Harbaugh not being in the sidelines and and the – extra work that puts on Sharon Moore to really be able to craft an offense. You're not going to beat Ohio state by clamping on defense because they have a good defense as well. You're going to beat them by breaking their defense basically. Um, And while Michigan was able to do that against Penn state, Ohio state's a different beast. It's a rivalry game. They're very much going in as, as the favorites, even with all the the coaching suspensions and sign stealing and everything, because they've won two years. Um, Give me OSU. I think OSU is going to, as much as it's not shocking the world because they're the higher ranked team, I think they're gonna they're gonna turn some heads with with how they play. Um, but I do think it'll be close. I think it'll be within a field goal. Hmm. I, I'm not surprised to to hear that you're taking the antagonistic side for our. I'm our always the viewers. contrarian, right? right. Any team I cover, but I'm somehow almost always right. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> wrong quite a bit, but this oh, we one know I that. Hey, <laughs> but I yeah, I mean. Wisconsin. One thing you certainly won't be able to accuse Connor of is being a, a Michigan homer in his prognostications. If if anything, it goes the other way. Where he's, if he's, anything, he can't I get, turn like, down the urge. If to... anything, I get death threats because I'm not a, oh. <laughs> a Michigan slappy. But all right, well, hopefully we can avoid that. But... Hopefully, no one email me, please, over the, the the OSU game. I don't play for either team except in in touch football amongst newspapers. Yep, and then I'm I'm a five star now. Well. <laughs> I'm all right. I played a few snaps. Yeah, more of a like development three star. You got them playing like a four star type. I'm, no, I'm a culture walk on, but that's okay. <laughs> all right. Every team needs those. Absolutely. Glue guy. Exactly. All right. On that note, um, actually, I'll, I'll offer my prognostication as well. I think it will be Michigan. I think I don't know what the number is, but I like under uh, whatever it is. Sliding in low, I think it's a low-scoring game. I think Michigan has too much defensively for McCord to deal with, and I think they find a way over the course of four quarters to run the ball well enough to pull away in the way that they have in recent years. Because hey, um, you know this is what Michigan does now is is beat Ohio State in football. So why wouldn't they do it tomorrow? All right. <laughs> On that note, we will leave it there for today. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back at this time next week. As of now, it is 2-1 Red Wings Bruin over the Bruins, although you know Bruins kind of on their way back here midway through the second period. 
Uh, we'll mm -hmm. see how that resolves itself. We'll have all sorts of new things to talk about at this time next week. We'll maybe return to the Michigan panic meter uh, based on how things go here in, in St. Cloud starting tonight and then into tomorrow. Um, thank you very much for listening. Be sure to check out Connor's work. Uh, I'm sure the Daily will do some awesome coverage of this Ohio State game coming up tomorrow. Uh, we'll see if Connor has proven correct once again in his antagonism. Um, and be sure to go log on to THN.com slash Detroit um, and gulagulahockey.substack.com for your Red Wings and Michigan hockey needs. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week.